Well, I want to welcome everyone to our Evangelism Sunday School class. I'm really excited for what the Lord might do through this class over our time together. And, you know, seeing that as both in us, what the Lord's going to do in us first, and then what the Lord might do through us in proclaiming the gospel. And I just kind of want to give you guys a layout of what this course is going to look like. Uh, We'll be together for 18 weeks, Lord willing. And what that's going to look like is um, each week we'll be doing a lesson, starting with today. It's going to be kind of a a broader lesson. And then on the in-between weeks, we're going to dig a little bit deeper on whatever the broader teaching was from the previous week. So, for example, this week we're going to kind of look at some things as far as Um, What is evangelism? What is it not? Um, How can we be more ready to proclaim the gospel? And then next week, Lord willing, we'll be diving into the first 11 verses in the book of Acts and kind of looking at what that looks like as far as a framework for evangelism. Okay, so that's what we're going to, Lord willing, be doing for the next 18 weeks. And with that, I want to begin by asking a question, which I'm going to do frequently throughout this class because I want it to be as interactive as possible. And the question that I want to ask you is, what comes into your mind when you hear the word evangelism? Okay, so that's an open question, so throw your your answers out. You hear the word evangelism, what comes to to mind? I'm just going to jot these down as you say them. Celia? Good. Amen. Okay, good. Claim God's word to others, good. What else? Rachel? Um, I'm just being honest, like how I feel about it. Yeah. I'm just feeling uncomfortable. Yes, good. Okay. Uncomfortable, okay. Uncomfortable, she said. Yep, uncomfortable. Yep. Relate to that, Lloyd. I always think of Periopagus in the book of Acts. Um, yeah. Paul standing up, being stirred in his soul. We'll be looking at that passage today. Okay, what else? George? Going out and bringing the gospel. Okay. Okay, good. What else? Forrest? Um, I don't mean this is depressing at all, but I love the verse that says, more than me, I don't proclaim the gospel. Right, right, yeah. It's not a woe, but it's a a joy. Yes. I would look at it like that. Yeah, yes. It's... um, it's not uh, something that is a huge, heavy burden, but yeah. it should be the, just the joy of yeah. Absolutely. There's an internalization of the gospel in your soul from which is birthed this zealous desire to make it known, right? So I think that's what Paul was getting at there is, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. How can I not proclaim this glorious gospel that I have been given. Yeah, and I think that comes as we deepen our understanding of what exactly God has done for us in Christ. Okay, good. What else? It's a, um, it's a privilege and it's a, it's a call. In other words, we're, we're told to do it. Yep. But we should look at it as a, as a, as a, as a, as a because we're being, um, words are escaping me right now. I'm sorry. It's okay. Okay. That's okay. We're we're called to go out and do it, but in that calling, it should be uh, commissioned. Uh, Commissioned? No, no, no. no. When someone's told to go do something, yeah. (coughs) Command? (laughs) Commissioned? That may have not been the word, but that's probably a synonym of what you were trying to get at, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Pete? Yes. It's the initial it's, it's not an end in itself. Yes. It's the beginning of proclaiming the plan of salvation, the work of Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and to be restored and reconciled back to God the Father. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But it's the first, and that, that, is, that is the end of evangelism. That's it's right. The making yep. disciples of Matthew 28. Yes. Yeah. That's the starting point yeah. from which everything there it's moves. Continuous. Yes. Evangelism, I think, is this claiming the need for Christ, your sin, you know, for all that. Amen. 
right. right. You become a new creation, and then from that, you're continually being newly created into the image of Christ through discipleship. Good stuff. Yes. Good. Amen. Amen. Good. Good point. Yes. Your thesaurus. Ambassadors. There you go. There you go. Okay. Good. Ambassadors. Okay. Good. Excellent. All. All good points here. So let's. Uh, Let's think through that a little bit, uh, a little bit more. We're going to kind of flesh that out as we look through these these topics this morning. So, as I mentioned, uh, we're going to be looking at this morning what evangelism is, what it is not, and hopefully encourage each other to more faithfully share the good news that we ourselves have been blessed by God to receive. So, let's start by first asking, what is evangelism? Okay, so it should be a very broad definition, and we'll kind of narrow this down as we work through the through the class. Biblical evangelism has everything to do with the evangel, right? So when we think of evangelism, evangel means the gospel or good news, okay? So we're thinking here about what the good news truly is. It's the good news that God saves all those who repent and believe the good news about what Jesus has accomplished. Those who are repenting, first and foremost, of whatever it is that they're trusting in to be made right with God, right? That's the first point of repentance. So we have to be careful to delineate that because sometimes we get the cart in front of the horse, so to speak, and we say, you need to turn away from doing this, 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 and this, and we give them a list of sinful things. They haven't yet turned away from the main thing. That is trusting in something other than Jesus Christ to be made right with God. So that's the first point that we want to bring to a person there of what they need to repent of. It's whatever it is that they're trusting in outside of Christ to be made right with God. And then repenting and believing. Believing that Jesus alone has satisfied the demands of God's holy law, right? Through his perfect life and then taken upon himself the wrath of God for all those who would repent and believe this good news. Put very simply... Somebody mentioned this, and the definition is evangelism is the action of telling people the gospel. Okay, very, very simply put, telling people the gospel. And I want you to notice that there are two parts to this. There is the message, right? The truth about who Jesus is. We have to make sure that we understand that. We have to make sure that we get that right. But once we understand who Jesus is, then we have to bring that to other people, right? We have to proclaim that to people. We have to engage with people so that they're able to hear the message that we speak. Now, when we first became Christians ourselves, we didn't really need anyone to remind us to tell other people about Jesus. You remember those, right? This is like, man, you became a believer, and in your mind, you're thinking, I got to tell everybody about this, right? I got to bring this to all people. The good news really felt very good in that moment, and it still feels good in our understanding of it. But talking about Jesus and what he had done for us seemed to kind of flow reflexively out of our hearts as we contemplated all that God had done for us in Christ. And what happens over time, many Christians find, that evangelism becomes less of a reflex and more of a challenge. And I want to think about why is that? Okay, when you think about when you first became a Christian, you're out proclaiming the gospel to everybody. What is it that maybe has slowed your zeal or caused you to be more hesitant than maybe you have been in the past? And one of those is that how people have responded to the gospel that you proclaimed, right? When you become a Christian, you think, this is the best news ever. Everybody's going to want to hear it, right? You can't believe what God did for me. I can't believe this. I was a sinner, and God saved me, and this is, that's really good for you, right? I don't want to hear it. It's like, really? What do you mean you don't want to hear it, right? And so we're confronted with the hostility of bringing the gospel to other people, and that at times can cause us to become a little hesitant the next time we go to proclaim it. It wasn't as well received as I thought it was going to be. 
Another deterring factor that I'd like to say to a person slowing down in their evangelistic fervor is that they have other people who tell them that evangelism is not everyone's responsibility, right? Well, that's just for those people over there. But the rest of us, we can do other, other things. Perhaps evangelism is just for specially gifted people, those who are really extroverted, right? Those who are articulate, they can really speak well. Those who are good at answering other people's questions, those are the ones who are gifted for evangelism. But what we want to look at in Scripture and what we need to remember is that the tone and character of the New Testament is evangelistic. The overwhelming burden, for example, of the book of Acts is the advancement of the gospel through the witness of ordinary Christians. In particular, Jesus commissioned not some, but all of his followers to make disciples. Look with me at Matthew 28, and you're going to have to turn to a lot of passages because I did have these on PowerPoint, and uh, it's not working this morning. So, Matthew 28, Peter referenced this passage earlier. And I'll go ahead and read here. Starting in verse 16, and I'll read through verse 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so notice here that the commission given to these 11, it's really interesting, right? In verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, right? And he still gives them the command, go and preach the gospel, <laughs> to all the nations, right? Work through that, and at Pentecost, we would see how a lot of that was resolved. And at Pentecost, as we'll look in, in future weeks, what we see also is there was more than just the 11 who were there. You have about 120 people in the upper room who now the Holy Spirit comes down upon, and then they go out and preach the gospel. So this is given to all believers. If you are a Christian, you have a message to bring to this world. And it is the message of Jesus Christ that God and man can be reconciled through the work of his son. Every one of us have been given that commission. The Apostle Paul says that in order for someone to become a disciple of Christ, they must hear the gospel and believe it. Right? Look with me at Romans 10, verses 13 through 15. Okay. Still thinking about here about what evangelism is, the action of telling people the gospel. So Romans 10, and if I can have somebody read verses 13 through 15. Romans 10, verses 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe him? they have never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Okay, now, now let's, let's walk through that passage logically. Okay, let's think about what that says. Notice the beauty of verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? That's a beautiful message. Everyone who calls on the name no matter your race, your social status, how young you are, how old you are, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul asks a logical question. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Right? If belief is necessary in order for them to be saved, 
how are they going to call on him in whom they have not believed? Right? They don't believe in him, they can't call upon him, and therefore they can't be saved. And he goes on and he says, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Right? So they have to hear it. They've got to hear it. You see the, the, the result here? They've got to hear it to believe it. They have to believe it in order to be saved. And then he asks, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? So proclamation is necessary in order for them to hear, in order for them to believe, in order for them to be saved. Okay? And verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Okay? So there's the sending, there's the proclamation, there's the hearing, there's the believing, there's the being saved. Right? So we have to make sure that we understand that order. There's that logical progression that must work. So there needs to be a messenger that brings the truth to them. Some have concluded, as I mentioned earlier, that this job of evangelism is only for those who are gifted or maybe are in full-time Christian ministry. But listen, this is not the perspective of Jesus. It's not the perspective of the Bible. And I want you to see this. Turn with me to Ephesians 4. If you were with us in the prayer meeting, this is the passage that we looked at. Ephesians 4. And I want to read verses 11 and 12. Is it too cold in here? Yes? No, I hear. I see heads going this way. Now, would anybody be offended if we bumped it up just a degree? Up to, towards up. You would be offended? Yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> That's all I wanted to know. It wasn't going to affect my decision. <laughs> okay, let's look at Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Contextually, when you back up in this passage in Ephesians 4, and it talks about, in verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then in verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high... He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And then in verses 11 and 12, we see what those gifts are from Christ to his church. Okay? So let's look at this, verses 11 and 12. Somebody can read that for us, Ephesians 4. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, um, yeah, that, that's fine. Oh, 13 to? No, no. Oh, okay. no just, just to 12. That's good, thanks. Now, notice here in verse 11, he, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Okay, so let's just talk about that first. You see a classification of gifts that Christ has given to his church. One of those gifts are evangelists, okay? We can see this, right, in certain people being able to really understand the gospel better and being able to proclaim it maybe more clearly. But notice that these aren't just the ones who are called to be doing the work of evangelism. Notice why they're given here in verse 11. He gave them, verse 12, to equip the saints... Who is a saint? Every, every believer. Every believer is a saint. Okay? So the evangelist is given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Do you see that? Okay? So somebody has the gift of an evangelist. That person isn't solely responsible for doing the evangelism. That person is responsible for equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That gift that has been given to him has been given so that he might strengthen the body of Christ and help them to be more effective in understanding and proclaiming the gospel, which is everyone's responsibility. It's given to the saints for the work of ministry. Okay, So that, that, that's a really important point that we want to make sure that we, we understand. So whenever I hear somebody say, so-and-so has the gift of evangelism, I cringe a little bit. Because there isn't a gift of evangelism. 
excuse me, evangelism. There's the gift of an evangelist, and that person is given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, right? So it's a calling upon all of our lives. Now, granted, listen, it looks different, maybe, for each one of us. So I want to make sure that that becomes very clear for us. One of the things that I definitely want to avoid in this class is saying that if you're not doing evangelism this way or that way, then you're not doing evangelism, right? Evangelism, very simply put again, is telling other people the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your family, in your neighborhood, at your work, out on the streets, whatever the case may be. There isn't a right or wrong way of doing evangelism, but there should be a burden that's on each one of us to proclaim the gospel to any who are around us. Okay, George. Just real quick. Yeah, no, please. Uh, when, Tim, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he specifically yeah. said, do the work of an evangelist. evangelist that's right. He said, become an evangelist. Mm-hmm. So we're called to do the work at whatever level we're That's right. To. That's right. Exactly. So I think, I think there's sometimes an intimidation factor that people feel mm-hmm. where if I'm not doing evangelism in this way, then I must not really be evangelizing. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's not true. That's one of the things I want to diffuse immediately. Uh, at the outset here is just let's focus in on what the gospel is and in our bringing it to other people, okay? So this message, the good news, is the word of Christ delivered through the faithful witness of a disciple of Christ. So having kind of laid that foundation, the question that we want to ask is we want to do a little introspection here, right? And ask, where are we with evangelism, okay? Evangelism is something that Hopefully, we know from Scripture that we're called to do, but we often struggle doing it. In a recent study, 80% of people said that they know they should be proclaiming the gospel to someone, but only 60% of people have told another person about how to become a Christian in the last six months. Okay? So, what does this mean? It means that there is the majority of Christians may have a biblical understanding about our responsibility for it, but an incorrect application of this understanding. In other words, we know what we're supposed to be doing, but we're not doing it. Now, I want to say that there are multiple factors into maybe why we might not be doing that. Okay, and we'll kind of discuss that here. How do we correct that? Okay, how do we kind of turn that around? We want 100% of people to know this is what I ought to be doing and 100% of people saying this is what I am doing, right? That's what we want, right? Amen. Amen. We're all coming to church and we're saying, man, you're not going to believe. Thank you for praying for my neighbor. Last night I was out in my yard doing some yard work and they came over and I started a conversation and went into the gospel, right? Or I was talking to one of my family members or talking to one of my coworkers. Man, those are just enlivening conversations that you're having with people. The gospel is, is going out. So how do, we, how do we correct this? How do we cultivate a culture of faithful evangelism, both in our own lives, but corporately as a local church? We want to see a church, we want to see our church in particular, that is so shaped by the gospel that it's a natural reflex towards sharing the good news with others. And what this requires is individual church members like you, and I'm so thankful to see how many people are in this, in this class, to come and get equipped. And I really appreciated what Rachel said at the beginning here, and I can testify to this, is at, at a, a lot of times we're fearful, we're timid, we're uncomfortable, right, when we think about evangelism, because we're maybe thinking about the past, and that didn't really go well with Uncle Jim. Right? It's just like, I thought that was going to go really well. And it was just like, I got called every name under the sun and, you know, so on and so forth. Whatever the case may be. We want to understand and we want to come around one another and encourage one another and not think that we're just in isolation. It's like, why everybody else is just doing it. I'm all fearful and timid. And we're going to look at some passages here to help us to see that this this is common to see in Scripture. That there are barriers to proclaiming the gospel. And so... What I want to focus in on here is something that is much deeper than simply memorizing a sales pitch or handing out tracts or inviting people to church. All of those are good, good things. Instead, a culture of faithful evangelism involves all of us oriented in our life together around advancing the gospel, beginning in our local community, 
and by God's grace out into the world. So let's think now, what does this look like in practice? Okay, how can we kind of make the, the rubber meet the road here, so to speak? I want to suggest going into your outline here that a church that has a culture of faithful evangelism will be doing a few things. It will be actively making, taking, praying for, and planning toward gospel opportunities. This is a really an organic culture of what evangelism is. So there on your outline, pray for opportunities. Okay, Pray for opportunities. And I want you to look. Most of you, I think, are still in Ephesians here. Go over to Ephesians 6. I want you to look at Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 20. Paul talking about the armor of God here. Prayer being one of them, and specifically, watch what is being prayed for. Okay, Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 20. I'll go ahead and read that. It says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So here is, here's Paul's command to the church at Ephesus. Be praying for one another. We're in a war. That's what he's talking about here with the armor of God. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age. And then notice he goes on in verse 19. Listen to this, okay? This is the Apostle Paul speaking, the bold Apostle Paul, right? right? You look at Paul's life like, wow, look at his zeal, look at his boldness. Watch verse 19. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's a prayer request from Paul to the church at Ephesus. What is presupposed in that prayer request? That he is sometimes, uh, I guess he holds back. He doesn't have the the boldness too. Absolutely, right? So that should be encouraging as we we come to this passage and we think about Paul's life, Right? This isn't a, a, just a natural reflex, not just like, hey, I'm bold. I don't need prayers for boldness. I'm as bold as I can be, right? No, he humbles himself to this new church, and he asks, please pray for me. Pray that God would give me boldness when I speak the gospel. And it pre- like a contradiction has humility with boldness. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay? So... Personal weakness, listen, personal weakness is one of the common reasons why people do not evangelize. Okay? Paul admits his weakness here. He doesn't try to hide that. Right? Tell me, are we tempted at times if we ask for prayer, for evangelism, to ask people to pray that we would be bold because we're fearful of them thinking something about us, that why aren't you more bold? (laughs) Right? So, yeah, I pray for that. Yeah, I've got this. I am scared as day is long, but I'm too proud to ask for prayer, for boldness. And Paul just lays it before the church at Ephesus. Please help me. He doesn't use it as an excuse, right? He doesn't, he doesn't say, I'm fearful, therefore I'm not going to do it. He says, man, please pray that I'll be bold in my proclamation, that I'll open my mouth boldly to make the gospel known as I ought to speak, Right? This is, this is what I should do, but I'm timid here. So he acknowledged it, and he requested prayer for it. He asked them to pray that he would find the right words, and that essentially that he wouldn't chicken out when the opportunity came. And I think every one of us, if we're honest, we can relate to that. Listen, that's normal. Why? Because we're in a war. The last thing Satan wants you to do is open your mouth and tell the gospel to a lost sinner how they can be made right with a holy God. That's nice that you've received it all. Now just go sit on your couch and do nothing and wait for the new heavens and the new earth. Right? And God says, go and make it known. Pete. You, you have to pray for boldness because you're, you're dealing with people's souls and the deep things of sin. Yes. Revealing. You're going to be talking about a lot of things. And yeah. You're, you're exposing this person. That's where the Exactly. And 
yeah. as soon as they see their sin, a lot of people get defensive and they persecuted if they believe something else. So yep. it, it's, it's, it's warfare. Yeah. Demons are flying around, tempting yeah. them, and, and it's, you have to be in the spirit of Absolutely. to proclaim this and stay steady. That's right. It's a battleship. That's not a cruise ship, it's a battleship. That's right. Deborah. But you're also exposing yourself. Yes. Exposing yourself, they're exposing themselves. Yeah. There's a comfort level with, you know, what you know to be true. It will yeah. shine from you and they right. Yeah, that's true. There, there is that element as well where we're confessing our own dependency and need for the gospel. And we're exposing our weakness before others. And sometimes that's a battle. I'm strong, I got this. Rachel. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like really easy to take it personally. Yep. But like, you have to remember that they're not attacking you. They're attacking God. Like they're rejecting Him. And that's right. It's like your words that you're saying. That's it's right. against you, but it can, yeah. you can take it really easily. Absolutely. You know, isn't it amazing, too? Great point, Rachel. When you see Jesus sending the disciples out, he tells them these things. If they reject you, they've rejected me, right? Uh, don't be fearful, right? What, what can they do? They can only kill you. That's what Jesus says. Don't fear him who can kill the body only and afterwards can do nothing more. But fear him who can cast both body and soul into hell. Yeah, there's all kinds of pride that is mixed in with these fears that, that come to us. Okay, let's look, at, let's look at another example of this. Look at Acts chapter 4. Again, you read the book of Acts and you just think, oh man, nobody's afraid at all, man. They're just going in and proclaiming it. But when you start looking a little more deeply at what actually is being said here. Okay, so if you remember Peter... And John here proclaimed the gospel. They can do no other. Starting in verse 21. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, watch this, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So here you have it. These threats come, and they feel the weight of them. And they recognize there may be a timidity that rises within us that causes us not to proclaim this as we ought to. And so let's go to God and let's ask Him and let's pray, help us to continue to speak Your Word with all boldness. There's a temptation there to refrain from that and not to speak it as we ought to. And what happens after they pray? God fills them and they go out and they proclaim the Gospel. Listen, we can't hope to overcome personal weakness in evangelism by simply trying harder. By simply trying to rouse ourselves up and say, come on, you shouldn't be this way, you know, so on and so forth. You get on your knees before God and you say, please help me. I'm weak, I'm timid, I'm fearful, and I need grace. And I want to speak boldly, Lord, but I feel the weight of temptation to refrain from speaking as I ought to. I remember... Some years back, I was going downtown to witness 
with one of my one of my friends. <coughs> and uh, just to be honest, I, I am fearful every single time I open my mouth to share the gospel. Once I actually start sharing it, then I get past that. But that initial point of interaction with somebody to share the gospel, my heart is pounding like 300 beats a minute, right? I'm just feeling all kinds of anxieties. I'm feeling I'm, all my sins are coming to my mind, right? Like, who are you to open your mouth, you know, for God? And so I remember my friend and I in his car begging God for mercy. Please help us, Lord. We're going to go proclaim the gospel. Just feel so weak. We spent probably 15 or 20 minutes just in prayer on that issue of feeling feeling weak. And I, this night sticks out in my mind. Nobody received the gospel that I'm aware of. The Lord gave us much opportunity to proclaim it. I had a spirit of boldness upon me that night like I have never had in my life. I cared not one inch of what men thought about me. And that was unusual. I mean, I can remember just talking to everybody that I came across. And it was amazing how I reflected back and thought about You've answered that prayer, Lord. As we came to you in weakness, you gave us strength so that it might be seen that this is all of you. And I'm sure you guys have probably experienced that as well. Right? You know the difference between trying to go and proclaim in your own strength and trying to proclaim in the power of the Spirit. Pastor Ron, you yeah. made me think of the scripture that calls us that is anyone lacking wisdom? Ask God. Yes. So whatever we know that we're in need of, yes. we should be asking Him in prayer, believing Yep. Not, not doubting that we might receive Right. Absolutely. No. Absolutely. So listen, we've got to be honest, not only with ourselves, but with one another and humble ourselves. Mm -hmm. right? Let's confess that together. I feel timid. I feel, I feel fearful at times. Amen. I need God to strengthen me and open my mouth for his namesake. Also, we should note that evangelism is not only, we have to really make sure that we get this ingrained in our minds here. It's not only the work of us. Right? It's not only the work of people, it's the work of God. Amen. Right? God works through our words, the substance of which should be his words, to open the hearer's hearts to receive the truth of the gospel. So we pray that God would give us the boldness to speak and his words would come out of our mouths when we do have the opportunity to open our mouths. Look a little bit further in Acts chapter 16. You guys may remember the story of Lydia, conversion of Lydia. And this is a, this is a great, we'll just look here for time's sake at, at verse 14 as, as they go to proclaim the gospel. And in verse 14 in chapter 16 it says, And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Watch this. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Isn't that a great statement? So we recognize, listen, I, I, it, it's, it's not going to be persuasive technique here. right? It's not going to be, I'm, I'm sure we can all testify like, man, that was like the best gospel presentation I have ever given. That person was just, right? And other times we're fumbling through our words and just trying to find anything we can and we're all over the place and man, that was powerful. Man, that really... I really hit my heart. Really? I didn't even feel like I... So what, what that helps us to see is we should know the gospel and be able to proclaim it well. But listen, we are dependent and we ought to be prayerful to God. Please open the heart of the person that I'm speaking with to pay attention to what I'm about to say. Right? They're not going to pay attention on their own. They're not going to pay attention because I was really persuasive. They're going to pay attention... Because the Lord opens their heart to understand what it is that we say. And we have to be dependent upon the Lord to do that. Miguel. I have an example of, it, right? uh, of that because when I was painting in, in Disney, mm -hmm. only people ask me for, for, you know, for the, the, the word of God. Yeah, amen. They, they know it. But uh, the people paint one room and go to the other one, and this is uh, many people painting, right? And uh, the, the last woman painting the, the baseboards, the, the corner, where everybody goes, mm -hmm. he asked me, about, tell me about that something. She, she was... Uh, Listening uh, from a distance, yes. so to speak. Yeah. And when, when everybody goes, she asked me. Amen. Amen. She, she's quiet. Yeah. It was, it's, it's 
You, you were talking to this guy, but the Lord was working yes. in her heart over here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Most, most people um, take the, the um, my words um, lightly, not, not attention, but she was. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's, that's a great example. We often have in mind, okay, this is the person I'm speaking with, and God says, this is the person I'm speaking with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So, that's good. Lloyd, were you going to say anything? Or just scratch it back? Okay, gotcha. Okay, um, wow. Running out of time here. Okay, so praying for opportunities, praying that God would help us to be dependent upon him to give us opportunities to bear witness for his namesake. Okay, they're on your outline there. We want to take the opportunities that God gives. We want to take the opportunities that God gives to us. You know, there's another wonderful story there in Acts 16, which you're undoubtedly familiar with there with Paul and Silas in prison and the Philippian jailer, and they're in the middle of their worship in prison, singing songs of praise to God. And God brings about this earthquake, right? The, the doors of the jail open. And let's be honest, if you were there, would you be thinking, what a great opportunity to leave, right? I'm in jail for proclaiming the gospel. God opens the doors. Here we go. I'm out of here, right? They can't leave. <laughs> right, yeah, that's right. But what happens here is Paul and Silas recognize the opportunity to take advantage of this, right? All the doors were open, verse 26 says, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. I mean, how come, tell me you wouldn't see that as a sign from the Lord, right? My door just opened, my bonds fell off. I'm, I'm out of here. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison door were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. That's a good presupposition, right? <laughs> Doors are open. Okay, everybody's probably gone. But Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Wow. Excuse me? <laughs> the jailer called for lights, rushed in, trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? What an incredible story. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So they took advantage of an opportunity that they saw from the Lord to proclaim the gospel. They weren't self-centered. They were other-centered. They said, Let's take advantage of this and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the same Paul who showed us that he prays for opportunity also takes these opportunities. And so listen, when we pray for opportunities, sometimes God surprises you and you need to be standing at the ready to take advantage of whatever opportunities we have to witness for Christ. You start praying for opportunities, be aware that God will start opening doors for you to proclaim the gospel. You're going to be much more alert to it, much more aware of it, and we need to take opportunities as God sees fit. So let's make sure that we go ahead and do that. Okay, for time's sake, I'm going to move on to the next one there. Not only should we take opportunities as God gives them to, the, to us, but we should also make opportunities. So there's a sense in which we're reactive. We're taking those opportunities as circumstances permit it, but we're also proactive. Okay, We're making opportunities for telling others the gospel. And this ought to be more of the mainstay of our evangelistic endeavors, is making opportunities to tell others about the gospel. There certainly are opportunities when God opens a door for you to take it, but I've found that there's many more opportunities when you are intentional about going out and proclaiming the gospel to others. Okay, We have to go and tell. So it's important to remember that the only qualification for evangelism is being a Christian. And the Apostle Paul had the same great commission as you and I do. And remember that a Christian understands and has personally experienced the truth of the gospel. And listen, and that gospel grips us and compels us to share it. And Lloyd uh, alluded to this earlier in the case of Paul's interaction <coughs> at the Areopagus with the philosophers in the town there in Acts 17. I'm just going to read a part of this since we're running a little short on time, but Acts 17, I'm going to pick up in verse 16 here, in Acts 17, 
And it says, now while Paul was waiting for them, he's waiting for Silas and Timothy, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, watch this, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he, re- so, okay, so what did that do? He's seeing the city given over to idolatry. His spirit is provoked within him. Does he just hold that in and just say, man, that really bothers me? Let's be honest. How many of us are prone to do that? You know, the, these decisions that people are making in our, that's, that's really bothering me. Really? What, what, is it bothering you enough to go preach the gospel? Because that's the only thing that's going to change it. And we know that. But oftentimes we just get short-sighted and we just complain about the issues that we see, but we don't do anything about it. So Paul saw the idolatry, and listen, he was broken by it. And verse 17 says, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Now, I want you to notice here, Paul's waiting. Timothy and Silas to come, right? And in the meantime, he doesn't, he doesn't see this as wasted time. Like, I'm just, I'm just kicking back, relaxing, waiting for Timothy and Silas to get here. God has me here for a reason, and he's delayed Timothy and Silas for a reason. And so I'm going to take advantage of this time and proclaim the gospel as the Lord would have me. Verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Right? So Paul sees the city given over to idolatry, provoked within him, and he says, I'm making an opportunity here. I'm going to jump on this. I'm going to go, and I'm going to proclaim the gospel to them. And listen, these were people who didn't have a biblical framework of understanding. They were totally blown away by what Paul was saying to them. This was a new thing. You're, you're bringing strange things to our ears, Paul. It's important to note here that their unbelief is what prompted Paul to evangelism. He was broken by their unbelief. And I think we ought to take more time. We should learn from that and take more time and think about those in our families, our friends, our co-workers that are walking around blindly. And their unbelief should break our hearts. But even more so, what we see here is that Paul was jealous for God. He was jealous for God's glory. Paul knew that the presence of idolatry here that he saw indicated the lack of true worship. God isn't being worshipped in this place, and he deserves to be worshipped in this place, and that's what compelled him to move out. So one reason why we do evangelism certainly is compassion, that we don't want people to perish, that we want them to come to know God. But that reason flows out of a greater reason, namely, like Paul, we're jealous for God's glory. The people that we know and those that we come across who we've just met who don't know the Lord are not worshiping God. And the greatest motivation for evangelism ought to be the glory of God. God deserves to be worshiped by all of His creation, but He isn't. And that ought to break our hearts and move us into action. I love what John Piper says in his book, Let the the Nations Be Glad. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions exists because worship doesn't. That is the goal of missions, is that people might join us in worshiping the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as He deserves. But people aren't doing that, and they should be. And out of jealousy for God's fame, we seek to respectfully persuade others to be reconciled to God. So our desire to tell others, again, should be fueled by a jealousy for God's glory and love for our unbelieving neighbors. Listen, we want them to know this glorious God that we have come to know and worship Him for all eternity in His unspeakably wonderful presence. So, God has given us a command to go and preach the gospel 
to every creature. And it's my hope that as we continue through these sessions that it will encourage a culture of evangelistic fervor and faithfulness in our church. But that doesn't just happen, right? That doesn't just happen. We have to pray for it and we have to encourage one another in this endeavor. We, we must all, we're all called to be a part of cultivating this culture by praying for, taking, and making opportunities for the gospel. So your homework for this week is to go and preach the gospel to at least 10 people before next Sunday. <laughs> what I really want you to think about is think of one, two, three, four people in your life, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors that don't know the Lord. And when we come back together next week, I want you to interact with those who are around you, at least one other person, and begin praying for those people as we go through this class. God places a burden on our hearts as we look at others and we see them lost and we begin praying for them. That's how a burden for others increases. When you see them lost and walking blindly in this world. So that's one of the ways that I think we can really begin this process immediately is we start with prayer as we did in this lesson. We start with praying for God to give us opportunities to open our mouths to those who are around us. Okay? Amen? Amen. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to jump into Acts 1. We'll look at the first 11 verses and kind of discuss this a little bit more. Okay? All right, let me go ahead and close us, and we'll be dismissed into the sanctuary. Okay. <coughs> Father in heaven, we thank you again for the gospel. Lord, how blessed we are that we have been given ears to hear what the Spirit says. The gospel came to us, Lord, in some fashion. But we, we look back here at the beginning of you commissioning these 11 disciples to go out and proclaim it. And Lord, we are beneficiaries of their mission. That gospel went and it kept going and it kept going and it came to wherever we were at the appointed time and came to us, Lord, whether it was through somebody else verbally witnessing to us, whether it was us sitting down and reading the Bible, somebody handed us a track, we heard a sermon on the radio, whatever the case may have been, Lord, you brought the gospel to us, and it was because people were faithful to get the message of the gospel out. And so, Lord, that's what we desire. We ask, we plead with you that you would work powerfully in us, Father. Please, first, in our own hearts, remind us of the glorious good news of what you have done for us in your Son, Father. May our hearts be so overjoyed by that reality that evangelism just spills forth from our lives to all who are around us, Lord. Father, we admit that we are oftentimes timid and fearful, and we recognize that we have an enemy that wants to keep our mouths shut. And so we would ask that you would give us boldness, Lord. We don't have it on our own. We're needy. So please help us. Open our mouths Give us thought as we go through this week of those who are around us who don't know you. And we ask that you would give us a burden that is wrought by your Spirit for those who don't know you and that are not worshiping you, Lord, as you deserve. Break our hearts for that, Lord. And as we come back by your grace together next week, we ask that you would lay a few people on our hearts individually that we can begin to collectively pray for them, Lord, and lift them before you that you would use this time that we have together, Lord, to create this culture of evangelistic fervor and faithfulness within our church, Lord. Don't let this, please, I pray, don't let this just be an 18-week class that we put on the shelf after we're done and it doesn't affect our lives any further. Change us, Father, please. Give us boldness to speak as we ought. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.